Amen. What a great song. What a great truth. Well, this morning, take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Find that Old Testament small little book called Jonah. And we're going to spend some time here in this book this morning. Thank you for allowing me to be here for these days of revival meetings. And uh, trust that God will continue to work in our hearts as he has these first couple of services already. Nothing kills God's plan for revival any faster than a selfish stubbornness. And we find here in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I got saved at the age of 15. I'm thankful that God had mercy and allowed me to hear the gospel many, many times before I got saved. I was raised in a Christian family, raised in a godly home, but I didn't come to a saving knowledge of Christ until I was 15. I went back to the camp the next summer where I got saved and the next summer, I heard some preaching about dedicating my life to Christ. And I knew that that was the right thing to do. He had died for me. I ought to be willing to live for him. And so I, at 16 years of age, gave my life to Christ. I had no idea what that meant. I did not know any specifics of that. I just wanted the Lord to have my life. As time went on from that decision, however, I had several opportunities to take my life back. And we often do that, don't we? We give something to the Lord, and we are motivated, and we conscientiously make that decision, but then sometimes later we kind of want to take the decision back. There were times in my life when I didn't want to serve the Lord. As I became into my senior year in high school, I, I wasn't uh, getting involved in wrong things, but I had my priorities wrong. I wanted to serve me. I wasn't against what God wanted to do in my life. I, I knew that he had a plan for my life, but I, I didn't want to go his way. I wanted to go my way. And for me, that involved sports and playing football and Scholarships began to be offered and things of that nature, and I was set in my mind that I'm going to take these, this scholarship, I'm going to play college football, and we'll put God on hold for a while. Well, my senior year in high school, toward the middle of that senior year, God began to uh, take some things away. On January the 20th of my senior year of high school, I went into a hospital. And I stayed in that hospital until April the 18th. I never moved a muscle. I never got out of that bed to use a restroom or go look out the window. I had what was called pericarditis. 
at that time, one of two cases in the United States that were known. Now they treat pericarditis in dogs. But at that time, almost an unknown disease, and they really didn't know what was wrong with me until toward the end of that particular time. Pericarditis is a virus of the heart sac. There's two kinds, a wet and a dry. Mine was wet. My heart sac had grown filled with poisonous liquid to the size of a girl's basketball. I remember the day when the doctors came in having discovered what it was and said, we've got two choices. We can take you off all the medication you're on now. I was taking 21 pills a day, seven shots, and you know where every day nurses were making tattoos back here. And so we can take you off all that, get you up out of this bed for a little bit at a time, and hope that your body will naturally dispel this poison from your body. Or we can stick a needle in there and try to draw it out, but if that poison hits your bloodstream, you'll be dead in a second. Are you running from God? The way of the transgressor is hard. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Saul of Tarsus was told on that road to Damascus, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, a selfless submission starts the process of revival. But resistance to God is not recommended. It's not recommended in the Bible, and I can certainly recommend it from experience. I want you to follow in the life of Jonah this morning some painful steps on Jonah's journey to revival. Now, thankfully, this little book in the Old Testament contains one of the greatest revivals ever to take place. I don't know of a more effective sermon ever preached than the sermon that Jonah preached. One sermon and an entire city turned to God. A tremendous revival, but notice the painful steps that Jonah needed to take to get to that point because of his stubborn selfishness. I see a prideful resistance here. As we learned last night, if we will learn silence, God will speak. In verse number one, we see Jehovah's decree. The Lord, uh, his word came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you will be still this morning, if you will listen in your soul, if you will be attuned to God's voice, you will hear, thus saith the Lord. I hope you're interested in what he has to say. Jeremiah said, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Jesus said, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Be swift to hear, James said, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Paul said, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. We see Jehovah's decree, but Jonah's disobedience. In verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
What have we heard but not done? Most of us have been in church a bit. Most of us, it's a regular practice for us to be in the morning service at Bible Baptist Church. We hear the Word of God week after week, Sunday after Sunday. What have we heard that we have not yet obeyed? James said, be doers of the Word, not hearers only. If any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a natural man that beholdeth his face in a glass. He goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And so often, easily, we come. Sunday after Sunday, we look in the mirror of God's word. We see our condition, but we go our way. And by the next Sunday, we have forgotten what God said. But God doesn't enjoy wasting his breath. In 1 Samuel 15 God said to Saul of the Old Testament, Hath God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Oh, that there were such a heart in them, God said, that they would fear me and they would keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You know, God wants it to be well with us and with our children. But when we rebel against God, when we turn away from God, we cause it to be not so well with us nor with our children. We see a prideful resistance. And that prideful resistance has, secondly, a painful repercussion. You know, if you're not walking exactly according to the will of God, you're walking away from it. If I, if I were to say, I'm going to, I'm going to walk exactly toward Jessica here. She's in the front row. I'm going to walk exactly toward Jessica. All right? Now, that's not far. It's pretty much a straight line, A to B. Okay, so if, I, if I'm going to say I'm going to walk exactly in the direction of Jessica, but, you know, to do that, I, I'm going to run into that pulpit, so I'm going to turn just a bit. Well, all of a sudden, I'm not walking any longer exactly in the direction of Jessica. In fact, if I keep walking, I'm not even going to be close. And sometimes we think, well, I, I'm just deviating a little bit. I, I'm obeying the Lord for the most part. I mean, it's not like I'm, I, I'm doing some terrible crime or something. I mean, I am in church. I, I, I do read the Bible. I, I, I do pray some. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not rebelling against God. But you see, if we're not obeying exactly, then we're walking away. And we see here a chosen alternative in verse number 3. Jonah flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He found a ship. You know, there's always an alternative to God's will. The devil will make sure of it. Whatever God wants you to do, the devil will make sure there's something else you could do. He'll always make sure there's something else that's available. There's always a ship going to Tarshish. 
away from the presence of the Lord. If you're not going to heaven, the alternative is hell. If you're not going to obey God's will, the alternative is disobedience. You say, well, yes, that's a little harsh. I mean, it's not quite that cut and dried. I mean, heaven and hell, obedience, disobedience. Oh, I'm afraid it is. In fact, God said that in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Behold, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. In other words, it's not, you know, multiple choice, A, B, C, D, none of these. It's heaven or hell. It's obedience or it's disobedience for the Christian. We don't get to choose a little of each. And that chosen alternative has a costly abuse. The Bible says in verse 3, so he paid the fare thereof. Disobedience isn't free. We, we oftentimes, you know, the devil makes us count the cost of getting saved. He makes us count the cost of obedience as a Christian. He, he sort of tabulates it up. And he says, are you willing to pay all that? Are you willing to give up your sin? Willing to become a Christian? I mean, willing to live for God? I mean, willing to do all Well, it's going to cost a little bit. Listen, disobedience isn't free either. Sin is expensive. The wages of sin is death. Turn ye not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are vain. They are empty. We may think, oh, this is a good alternative to the will of God. This is a good alternative to what God says, but it's vain. It's empty. We see a created adversity in verse number four. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and lay, and he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. You know, the Lord sent this storm, didn't he? Now, God's not to blame for the storm, but God sent the storm. You see, we, 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 we want to disobey God, we want to disregard God, we want to disrespect God with no repercussion. But God loves us too much to allow that. You see, the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. He chasteneth. It's amazing to me when you read about the Laodicean church and in the book of Revelation chapter 3, and we often preach about the Laodicean church, the apathetic, indifferent church that was neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. You know the most amazing thing about the Laodicean church to me is God loved them. God loved them. He said, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's not going to let you live, Laodicean. He loves you too much. He's not going to let you uh, take this alternate course. He's not going to let you get away with it. He loves you. And so he creates the storm. 
But thirdly, we see a proclaimed revelation. In verse 7, they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. You know, sin is the world's greatest detective. It always finds you out. Never misses. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness, my, my secret sins are not hid from thee. Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Whither shall I go from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? We see an inescapable relationship in verse 9. He said unto them, I am in Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. You know, Jonah has a relationship with God and when you have a relationship with God, when you're one of his children, you can't, you can't get away from that relationship. Jonah tried. He, he tried to run. He tried to get away from God's will in his life, but, but he couldn't get away from that relationship with God. God says in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. God's love for us is unconditional. It never fails. He, he gives us eternal life. We shall never perish. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And so we see an inevitable rendering in verse number 11. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was temptuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased and were raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. You know, the problem here is not the weather. The problem here is the will of Jonah. It's not the storm of the sea that's the problem. It's the sin in the saint that's the problem. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can row against the storm, but it's not going to do any good until you root out the sin. They tried. They, they threw everything overboard they could. They tried to lighten the ship. They tried to row it in. They tried to beat this storm. But there was no hope until they dealt with the problem. But I'm glad the story doesn't end right there. We see a patient remembering. I'm glad that God is always one step ahead of us, aren't you? Even when we're running as fast as we can away from the will of God, God's still ahead of us. He knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. 
And the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. And we see a divine preservation here in verse 17. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, I'm glad the Lord preserves the way of the simple. Sometimes without us even knowing it, God's preserving us from our own destruction. I think we're going to be surprised we get to heaven and look back if we're allowed to and see how many times God had his supernatural hand upon our lives or we would have been dead a long time ago. We see a design prophecy in this. Jonah is three days and three nights in this fish's belly. This is prophetic for Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And yes, Jesus did call it a whale. In the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. God takes this disobedient man, this man named Jonah, and he actually uses him as a very positive example of something that later is going to take place in the life of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he would die and be buried and spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then rise again for our justification. We see, fifthly, a personal repentance God does all that he does for this moment that's about to take place in chapter 2. God does everything in, his, in Jonah's life. He orchestrates all of these things, the storm, the difficulty, the trial. It's all to bring us to that point of submission. And We see a reverent voice in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God of the fish's belly. You know, God loves to hear us pray. And you can pray anywhere and be heard. I mean, if you can pray in a fish's belly and be heard, you can pray anywhere and be heard. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we shall receive the petitions we desired of Him. We see a reverent voice, and we see a reproving vexation. In verse number 2, He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction, Unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. He's describing what's going on in the stomach of this, of this fish. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, the depth closed me about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto, thine, unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. A reproving vexation. You know, folks, we don't have to wait for a ferocious storm or a fish's stomach to get right with God. It's amazing how it seems for God to get our attention. He has to sound some ambulance sirens. 
He has to put us in that hospital bed. He has to take us to that graveside. He, he has to take us to some tragedy to get our attention. But Paul said, despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Why do we wait for God's judgment to repent when God says in his goodness we should repent? And we see a renewed bow in verse number 9 of chapter Chapter 2, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And isn't that time all of us paid up? Way back in the book of Ecclesiastes, God said, <clears throat> pay that which thou hast vowed. Better not to bow than to vow not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Because God has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou vowed. It's easy to, to say, God, I will do this. God, I, I will give you this. God, I will, I will surrender this area. It's easy to say that. But he says, don't say it if, if, if your mouth is going to get your body in trouble later because you're not doing it. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God all that is due him. I've, I've said this often. Revival could come today if every Christian would make just one more decision and they'd never have to make another decision the rest of their life. And that decision would be to keep every decision we've already made. Enough decisions have been made in this room for Bible Baptist Church to have revival. The problem is we, we don't keep our decisions. We've made them. And it's time, if we're going to see revival, it's time we pay up. Jonah's ready to pay. He's ready to keep good on his vows. And we see, as a result, a powerful revival. The Bible says in verse 10, The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. It's amazing, this fish was more obedient than Jonah up to this point. And the word of the Lord came out of Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 1, the second time. And we see an unaltered message in verse number 2. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. You know, same command, isn't it? God doesn't negotiate God, when God speaks to us, we think, well, if I, maybe if I run away and I don't do it and I disobey, maybe if I do ever come back, God will let me do something a little less. No, it's the same message. Your obstinate will never changes God's omniscient will. Just because we say no doesn't mean God changes his mind. We think, well, if I resist, God will, God will back down. God will, God will compromise. I mean, that's the way things work in life, don't they? But nothing changed about God's plan. It was an unaltered message. Once Jonah submits to God's plan, we see an unleashed man. In verse number 3, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And 
unleashed man. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And all of a sudden, Jonah's gotten right with God, and now there's a boldness, there's a courage. You see, a wicked life leads to a wimpy testimony. But a broken life leads to a bold witness. And there's an unusual manifestation here in this revival. In verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? This is an amazing manifestation. One sermon and a great revival falls. I mean, this revival affected the animal. The king said, I don't want anything, man or beast, to eat. Or drink water. We, we've got to have God here. We, we've, got to, we've got to listen to this message from God. We've got to obey Him. And we see an un, undeserved mercy in verse 10. And God saw their works and they turned from their evil, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented Him of the evil that He said He would do unto them. And He did it not. Oh, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Did you know every one of us ought to go to hell? God's under no obligation to save us. It's only His mercy that saves us. Every one of us ought to suffer judgment for the way that we live in our sin. And yet God in His mercy, He delighteth in mercy. God loves to show mercy toward those that repent. He loves to to, to show mercy toward those who don't deserve it. They decided against the needle. And the next day after the doctor came in and told me the two choices, the nurse got me up out of that bed for five seconds to sit on the edge of the bed. Then I had to lay back down. For a week, five seconds, I could sit up. The next week, 10 seconds. The next week, 15 seconds. One day they stood me on my feet. I could barely stand. I'd lost 30 pounds. I didn't know how to walk. They said, take a step. I I couldn't move my leg. I remember the nurse pushing my my foot forward, and I pretty soon after a day or two I could I could do it myself. I learned to walk again. And pretty soon I could get all the way to the door and back. Pretty soon up and down the hall. With every step, I said, God, are you watching this? I want to play football again. You can't beat me. That entire time in that hospital, I never read my Bible once. In fact, I told my mother 
when she brought it to the hospital to take it home. I never prayed one single time except for God to make me better so I could play football. I remember a preacher coming to see me. I was watching television. I had the only colored television set in the hospital. because I'd been there the longest. Everybody else had black and white. I had the one colored TV set in the hospital. He walked in my room. I was watching a movie. The TV was right there by my bed. I was watching this movie, and he walked in. I turned it up. I remember he stood at the edge of my bed. He pointed right at me. He said, John, God's going to kill you if you don't get right with him. We already almost had. I pretended not to hear a word he said. And I went from sitting on the edge of that bed five seconds a day to working out 17 hours a day two years later. Running, lifting weights, therapy, exercise. Why? To go my way, do my thing without him. And one morning as I was out running at 3 a.m., the same pain that I'd had two years earlier came back. But after five hours of tests, there was no pericarditis. I had an enlarged heart. It was twice the size it was supposed to be. I was two weeks from my first two-a-days in college football. Two weeks. I said, Doc, I, I got to play. I could play with an enlarged heart, right? He said, no, not, not with your history. I said, well, there's got to be some, some drugs. There's got to be some medication. There's got to be something I can take to, to get my heart back down to size. He said, I'll give you a prescription. I took that prescription every day. And every day I drove that 80 miles to that hospital to have my heart reexamined. And every day my heart stayed the same size. And two a day started. And two a days ended. Now, one week before my first college football game, the coach came over. He said, John, we got to know if you're going to play or not. We gotta, I mean, we got to set the team. We, we, we got to cut scholarships, all this kind of stuff. He said, we got to have an answer. You can play or not. I drove back to that doctor and I said, Doc, give me every test in the book. I'll stay here as long as I need to. I got to know today if I'm ever going to play ball again. Another five hours of tests, he came in, he said, John, you can live a normal life. You can do a lot of things with your life, but sports is not going to be a part of it. He said some other stuff I don't remember. I was on my way out because my life was over. Everything I had lived for. I went back to that practice field and the teams scrimmaging. 
offense against the defense. The coaches were standing behind the offense as they were running plays, and I walked on that field behind them, kind of stood and waited. Pretty soon the head coach, his name was David Weichs. He was 6'8", 275 pounds. He had played and lettered at University of Minnesota. He came, he saw me, and he, he came over and he said, John, what's the news? I said, Coach Arn, I've never played yet. Coach Weichs was a Christian. And he had about a seven-foot wingspan. <laughs> and he took his right arm and he, he put it around my shoulders and he could definitely reach the other side. And he grabbed me, pulled me up next to him, and he said, John, whatever happens to you, serve the Lord. And I looked at that football laying in that dirt between that offense and defensive huddle, and I thought, that's the last time. At that point, I said, okay, God, I'm done running. I'm done. I, I quit. I can't run faster than you. I can't beat you. You win. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't know why you'd want my life. It's just a bunch of pieces. My life verse is Job 16, 12. He hath taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces, set me up for his mark. I said, Lord, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You want me to go to a mission field, go to a mission field. You want me to sweep floors in a church, I'll do that. Whatever you want me to do, you just tell me. I'm done running. I drove to a little restaurant where we used to get free milkshakes when we'd win our games. Ordered a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. I sat there and bawled like a baby for an hour. Gave my life to God. Drove home. My dad had sold the farm. I was in the hospital. He couldn't. He couldn't keep it going. They were living in town. I pulled into the garage and parked the car. As I was getting out of the car, there was a window right there, and my mother was running around the side of the garage. My mother doesn't usually run around garages. She came running in that garage. She said, John, you can play. You can play. You can play. I said, what? what are you talking about? I can't play. I was at the doctor this morning. He told me I'd never play again in my life. He said, I know where you were. He just called. Somehow while you were there, those tests were read wrong. He said, when they looked at him again, they said your heart is back to normal size. He said, you could start practice tomorrow. I slumped over the back of that car. I thought, what a fool I've been. I've been running and running and running and running, and God kept taking away and taking away and taking away and taking away, and now within an hour of the time I say, God, you can have my life, he says, okay, now you can play football too. And verses started flooding my mind. I'd, I'd memorized at camp and in Bible school, verses like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Verses like, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Did you know Psalm 119, verse 32 says, I'll run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. <laughs> That's not what it means, but it works for me. I had the privilege of playing four years of college football and four years of college basketball. Started uh, basketball all four years, scored over 1,700 points in basketball before the three-point line, for your information. Member of the Sports Hall of Fame at my university. It's amazing what God does when we do what He wants. So how about you? Are you buying a ticket to Tarshish? It's going to cost you. Yeah, but it's going to cost, I'll have to get saved. It's going to cost a whole lot more to stay lost. It's going to cost all of eternity to stay lost. Yeah, but Brother Gatch, I, I know what God wants. I, 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 I've heard that voice, and I know what he wants for my life, but it's just too much. It's going to cost you a whole lot more to say no. The biggest revival killer in the world is a lack of submission on the part of God's people. Be silent, let him speak, and then submit. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, this story of Jonah is an amazing story. A man who ran from you and was right with you only a very short time, and you used him in a phenomenal way to bring a revival that's been unmatched since. And Lord, I can't help but think there's a revival on the horizon for each of us if we would just stop, as we learned last night, and be quiet, and in silence listen to you, and then, Lord, now learn to submit. I can't see into the hearts of these people that are here before me today, Lord, but you can. And you know every one of our needs, and I pray that that individual here today that's never trusted you as Savior, Lord, don't let them leave today saying no. May they say yes and be wonderfully saved today. And Lord, for Christians, whether it's a big area, a little area, or some way in between that we are trying to resist, may we surrender today. Lord, the blessings are on the way when we do. And so work in our lives, I pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like you to stand quietly, if you will. Piano's playing. Pastor's near the front here. The help as needed. But most importantly, the Lord is here and as heads are bowed and we think about what God is saying to us. Do we need to respond? We need to come this morning and say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I submit. I hear what you're saying. 
I'm listening. I'm willing to obey. Or we're going to take a small deviation in our mind away from that exact will of God. here today and you've never trusted Christ. The journey without the Lord is a very difficult journey. And the sad thing is we don't have to take that journey without Him. We can be saved. We can know the Lord. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be on our way to heaven. These things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that today. There are several in this room that would be happy to show you from the Bible how to be saved on your way to heaven. I invite you to come. Christian, what is God speaking to you about? Respond to Him. There is an alternative, but it's not multiple choice. It's obedience or disobedience. It's heaven or hell. Make the right choice. Pastor, I'll let you come.